Cuphead and all hope listeners, you're listening to Radio Grognard, the OSR podcast about stuff with your host, Glenn Hallstrom. Hi folks, Old Man Grognard back, and today I wanted to talk about pacing and timing in games. That is very important, although I find it's more of a art than a skill not that it can't be learned you just kind of got to pay attention this is one of those things where as a game master you really have to be aware attuned to it so it takes a certain amount of experience with it timing and pacing in any field of entertainment is something that is either ingrained in you or learned. You can do it both ways. About the only advice I can give you about learning it is run games. Run some more games. As a player, pay attention to what the GM is doing as far as pacing goes. Okay, here's the thing. I want to fill a time slot. I want to fill, say, a four-hour time slot with a game. Now, on paper, that's hard to do. That's hard to tell. When you're actually playing the game, that's something else entirely. Because you get a feel for it. So, how do you put something like that on paper? Simple. You figure out how much action you want per hour. Now, this sounds kind of clinical. But I'm going to go ahead and you know do this like this. It, it really does work. I, I learned this from a book. I learned this from a book, Dream Park, by Artelzorian Games. I credit that book as the thing that taught me how to write an adventure. Because I don't write adventures. I'd write, this is how, writing situations as part of a plot. You do have have to have an overall plot. I mean, you have to have some objective. You can't come to the table saying, okay, you guys are just wandering around doing stuff, fighting monsters and collecting gold and not really doing anything. There's World of Warcraft for that if you want to grind. So you should have some kind of a plot idea. As far as pacing goes, on paper, it showed me this. And yes, Mr. I'm stealing this from Mike Pondsmith of Artels Orient Games. Hi, Mike. But it's worked for me many, many times. You know I'm a fan of bullet point adventures. Just give me the bullet points, tell me what's supposed to happen, and I can fill in the rest. So it goes something like this. you got to start with a hook. Got to start with something that will hook the players into the game. That's easy enough to do. Uh, the old standby, you meet in a tavern. You see an ad posted up on flyers, things like that. You have a contact who gets hold of you. Something that will draw them into the game. Now, I am also a fan of what they call in media ray. In other words, they're already in it. Where do they go from here? Some players don't like that. Most players do. Because they're already committed to... See, you've already committed them to something. The situation... To me, the situation has committed them to something. Like they're in the middle of a firefight. I, I learned this from the D6 Star Wars game. I ran the sample adventure one time where they had to get a, an R2 unit out of Tatooine and the game started with them trapped in a corner with Imperial stormtroopers coming in and they had the droid 
So they had to get out of this abandoned rebel base in order to get it back to the rebels. So it starts with a firefight. A hook can be anything. It can start with a firefight. It can start with a dialogue thing, anything like that, as far as in media rate go. But it's my preferred way to start a game because it gets them right in and there's action. Boom, right away. Okay, hook. You got a hook. Then it alternates between a cliffhanger and exposition. Now, I say exposition. I'm sure there's another word for it. But what happens is you alternate between cliffhanger, exposition, cliffhanger, exposition. Cliffhanger is the action stuff, the fights, the escapes, the chases. That's a call to action to the players. Exposition is role-playing, forwarding the plot by role-playing, by talking to NPCs, mysteries being uncovered, investigations, things like that. That is exposition. So it alternates one, two, one, two, one, two. So you figure out, okay, how much of this have I got to fill four hours? Well, I usually plan on at least two cliffhangers or action scenes per hour. That's not a hard and fast rule, but that's an average. You know me, benchmarks. You know, That's an average right there. And that is what I plan for. for so for our game, I'd have one, two, three, about eight cliffhangers, more or less. And you intersperse the the rest of it in between it. But once you come to like the last cliffhanger, the last exposition, you go into the climax, which is the climax of the story, which where everything comes to a head. And it's the big battle. You gotta fight the big boss, you gotta save the, the day, the temple's crumbling around you, you gotta get out of there, etc. 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 And which is followed by what they call the denouement, which is the epilogue. The heroes come back covered in glory. They get out with their lot, or they get out with their lives, or they get away from the imperial slugs, and it's winding down to the end of the story. That's your basic plot right there, and that gives you kind of a a pace to go by. And at the table, it's good to have that. Now, I'm not using this as an excuse for a railroad. Because I know no plan survive contact with the players. And I consider that a good thing. But it gives me a chance, if I know what's coming, it gives me a chance to ad-lib and otherwise roll with whatever the players give me. You got an action scene planned with the, with the bad guys confronting them in an alley. Well, they go, don't go down the alley or something like that, then you got to kind of reshuffle things. I always find that there's a way to get what's going to happen on your sheet or what's going to happen in your head, even though the players do what they want. Now, once again, I don't consider this railroading because if I'm on, if I'm on my toes and they throw me a curveball and I can curve that back to them, in a way that satisfies them and furthers my plot, it's a win-win. But I always got to consider the players. It's nice to have a plot here, but I'm not going to be be beholden to it. That's where the pacing thing comes in and the timing, because you can judge the room 
any good entertainer, and you're an entertainer. I mean, you're all entertainers. The players are, they're, we're entertaining ourselves. So each of us is an entertainer and an audience. A good entertainer can judge the room and realize when things are slowing down to pick it up. Or if things are just getting too frenetic that you're losing stuff, you slow it down. It's an art. But after you get about four or five games under your belt, you kind of sort of get the feel of your players. Especially if you're using the if you're at this if you're going around running demos and stuff, that's one thing. And actually you can do that with demos too, but it's a little harder. But if you got a regular group, you get to know the group. You get to know the, them and their characters. And also it helps to know what the characters' flaws, foibles, desires, dislikes are too. And you can play to that. But that's more playing it into the adventure. Although I have found a few hooks along the way, character hooks along the way, to do that with the, with the, the characters and the players. So, like I said, the timing thing and the pace thing is kind of, you you can learn it. And some people are natural. Some people are natural. I, my, my champion's GM, Mark, was a master at pacing because he could, he could pace that game like nobody's business. And it ran like an action movie, like a superhero movie. It was great. He really had it down. I think he was a natural. I may be wrong. I could sit down and say, oh, no, I ran like dozens of D&D games or something like that, so I knew what to do. But but like I said, there's, there's naturals and then there's people who learn it. You can learn it. It's no big mystical, oh, either you have it or you don't. No, you can learn it. So it just takes time, experience, and watching the players. And the players should be watching the other players and the GM to see how they do it. Because you never know, you never know in this hobby, you never know when you're going to end up behind a GM screen. So it's good to know the GM part of it, the GM side of it, and the player side. And if you're a GM all the time, play. Play more. Be a player. Find out what it is on the other side if you haven't already. Most of us start out as players anyway. There are a few that start at GM because, hey, he's the only guy who'll run the thing. I find that I find that if I ever want to do a new game, I gotta run it. So I'm I'm pretty much accepted that fact. But yeah, watch the players, watch the GM, and just like I said, work it. They say with artists, you have a thousand bad drawings in you. It's good to get them out as soon as possible so you can get to the good drawings. And I kind of figured this is the way. You wouldn't have a thousand bad games. Nobody would play with you. But I mean, you just, you work it out. You work it out and you'll be better for it. You'll be a better GM for it. So that's my spiel on pacing and, and timing. And also a little bit about adventure writing. Well, you can tell me all about this if you agree with this or not. Uh, send me a send me a voicemail over at Anchor, or give me a shout out, give me an email over at oldmangrognar@gmail.com. And that's going to be it for this morning. So until we meet again, keep the dice warm, and hope you have a good day. See you later, guys. Bye bye. Questions, comments, send them to oldmangrognard at gmail.com. We'll see you next time when Radio Grognard is on the air.